just want to remind you, um, January 1st, the first Sunday in January, we're planning to relaunch service. So for those clutch, clutch, those clutch watchers, clock watchers, those clutchers, um, we'll try to be out by 1130 every Sunday. So that means the announcements and greeting time will shrink a little bit. So what that means is get here before church and on time and do all your talking and conversing before um, 10 a.m. and then you won't need the greeting time. So just plan on after uh, January 1, our first Sunday service, 11.30 will be our mark. How many of you guys are excited about that? Can I get a witness? Amen. So the potlucks and um, we get to talk about the Chinese buffet again today. So um, you can be the first one in line at Dragon Fet every week. So um, it's what? What, what's the new, what? what is the Chinese restaurant's name now? Anyone know? Is it Dragon Buffet? Yeah. It's Gold Star now. So give it three weeks and it'll be like Gold Star or like Olden, Olden Star. They have an electrical problem there, it seems like. Nevertheless, just going down this trail that's not even necessary. 11.30, so just start looking forward to that and planning accordingly. Let's pray. God, I desire, and um, I think we all desire in here, that a life with you would be uh, more than just about a Sunday morning service. That would be an everyday um, encounter, an everyday moment, everyday um, us choosing to hold on to you and look to you. I ask that today that you give us ears to hear, minds to comprehend, Father. Um, feet that just want to run with obedience. Give us good soil today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I want to say this. I love to see God's hand at work. I love to see God's power um, on display. So miracles and deliverance um, prophesying. I love to see God's power. I love to have encounters with his presence. I love to see you guys have encounters with his presence. I love when the healings take place, all those things. Um, and I see a lot of it um, today, and I also see a lot of it in the Bible, right? But what I want to say is this, <coughs> is let's also, if we're going to see that in the Bible, I believe we also need to see that almost equally or maybe greater within the word, there's process. It's easy, it's easy to look at the miracles, it's easy to look at the deliverance, it's easy to look at the prophetic words, it's easy to look at the things that, that we hope for in power and in might, right? But sometimes it's really challenging to accept that throughout the whole Bible there seems to be process. I don't like it. Because you know what I want? I want prosperity in everything that I do. But if we're going to read the Bible, let's read it honestly. And what we're learning through Exodus is there's a process in every one of our lives. And um, if we look um, through the themes of the Bible, 
we see God being a savior, a deliverer, a healer, a redeemer. They're all in there. But if we also read it, you have to see that God values process. So God's people in chapter 4 of Exodus have assumed what God is going to do. How many of you guys assumed what God is going to do in your life? It's just been this huge assumption that, you know what, this is what God's going to do. And this is what God's going to do at church on Sunday. And this is what God's going to do this week in my life. And how about this? How many of us assume that we're going to wake up tomorrow morning? I do. I, I mean, I assume. There's going to come one day I don't, right? For all of us. Unless, unless we get raptured. If you pre-trib over here, post-trib over here, no trib down the middle. Let's sit. Come on, right now. Let's just start this debate and get it over with. God's people in, at the end of chapter 4 in Exodus, I believe they had some assumptions and they had this hope within them that, that thought they knew what was going to happen next. See, disappointment by that definition is this. The feelings of sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hope or expectation. Disappointment. How many of you guys have been disappointed this week? We're participating church. How many of you guys have been disappointed this week? What about even this morning? Disappointments. One author says, when, when disappointment hangs around too long and you start over-processing those disappointments, um, depression sets in. Science says, which we don't look to science all the time, we, we do consider science and the discoveries that God's allowed us to discover about ourselves and everything else. We really look to the word. But in this instance, science says that the hoarder being our brain, our brain is a hoarder, the hoarder um, being our brain, stockpiles disappointments, memories to help us learn so that every time we become disappointed, all other disappointing memories tag along. So we get disappointed and we just start bringing all these disappointments with us and we hold on to them, right? And for me, when I started to read this, this is what I said. It's not that our brain does that, it's that we're unwilling to forgive and reconcile. So we, we carry those things with us because we're unwilling to let go of them. So, so when we cling to these things, this unforgiveness, this unreconciliation, then we become depressed and anxious and worried and fearful. I believe um, that most, if not all, of our disappointments are with people or sometimes we're even disappointed with God. And I think that's a great place to be, to be able to be honest with God and tell him that you're disappointed with him. Because guess what? It doesn't change his love for you. And it actually allows you to deal with your problems better because you know, um, you know what you're frustrated with. I think a lot of times I try to put... Um, put all the blame on people or Macy, right? Like, well, if you would just do things differently, 
But then you go back to the root of it. It was actually my disappointment in God that then uh, challenged me then to just project on Macy because she's the only tangible thing in my life that could be the problem for what was going on within my heart. So I believe that we're often just disappointed with God or with people. It doesn't, it doesn't make it right. Just because we're disappointed in God doesn't mean that we are right and that he did us wrong because God always does us right. We just don't like what he does. Therefore, if we, biblically, uh, biblically speaking, if we forgive people and align our hearts with God, we shouldn't carry disappointments with us. There comes a time and a place in our lives where we have to be willing to let go of them. If not, you will likely spin in circles for the rest of your life. If you can't let go of disappointments and frustrations, you're going to spin in circles the rest of your life and never move anywhere. Does anyone have time to spin? I don't have time to spin anymore. Do you guys have any time to spend anymore? It's just time to let those things go. So I just want to review chapter 4 real quick, the end of it. So chapter 4, verse 29. Moses and Aris. Aris. What did I tell you guys last week? <laughs> Exodus 4, chapter 29. Verse 29. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites... And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. So Moses performed the signs, right? Do you guys remember the signs? The snake? What else? the hand and the blood, the water. So Moses did what God wanted him to do. He brought together the elders. He performed the miracles. And what I want to say about this, these miracles, these signs, um, these supernatural events that took place were revealing to us as humans that there's something greater than us. God was revealing to us as humans, look, I'm so far above you. You can't do this on your own, but the, these supernatural events are revealing who God is in a new way. Remember, just in Exodus 3, we discovered who Yahweh was, or we begin to learn who Yahweh is. So now you just meet who Yahweh was in chapter 3. Now in chapter 5, what are you doing? You're seeing that this Yahweh, that this great I am, this I am who I say I am has this power out of this world. So these powers are on display. Um, the snake, the leprosy, and the water to blood. To wrap up chapter 4, Moses performed these miracles. The people believed. They heard that God was concerned about them and their misery, so they bowed down and worshipped. These people were oppressed for over 400 years by the Egyptian people. 400 years, four centuries, 40 decades. Many of us are already thinking about our lunch. 
Oh, Lord, deliver me. I haven't had my biscuit since 8.30 a.m., and I'm already hungry. This is 400 years that they've been oppressed, facing hard times. They heard, God heard them. So guess what? I believe that then they assumed that their deliverance was coming today or tomorrow. It's been 400 years. My time has come. God's going to do it tomorrow. God's going to do it today. Surely next week, the Egyptian people's hands will be off of us. Could you imagine the type of happiness waiting that long? The hope that would have come with that moment? Because the God of everything, Yahweh, the great I am, just heard your cry and now he's going to bring deliverance. As I've said several times this morning, there's a tendency in humans to make assumptions about our future whenever we have any kind of hope. There is this idea that the things God calls us to in life are going to make life easier. Do you realize that? God's calling in your life does not make your life easier. I don't see that theme throughout the Bible. There is a cost that you have to count. And here's the thing. Someone once said we, they want to build, build big people. I want to see us built big here at the church. Bill Johnson said, I want to see big people, not big numbers. I want to see big people here. And one of the to become big people, you have to realize that when God calls you to something, it doesn't mean your life is fixed. God called Moses to do something, and it didn't mean that his life was going to be fixed. And let's talk about Jesus, just real quick. God called Jesus to do something, right? Did Jesus have an easy life? Jesus didn't have an easy life. He begged, Father, if there is another way, could this cup pass another way? But not my will, but your will be done. We have to quit thinking that our calling is going to lead to the success the way that we think it will be um, led. It will become challenging, life will become tough, and it will hurt. Because we don't want to just limit God to... Um, yeah, God will follow you because when I follow you and when I step into my calling that life will be easy. No one would, uh, well, everyone would do it then, right? Your calling is going to face challenges. And I believe that every call is tested and challenged as well. Is this really what you're called to? It's like when you get a promotion you assume what your life is going to look like after that, don't you? You assume. It's like when you move into a new house. Now that I got this new house, everything's going to be fixed. When you were proven right within a conversation, you assume, hey, everything's going, I was right, everything's going to be better now. This assuming often leads us to disappointment. 
I believe that God's people were assuming that the deliverance that Moses and God were talking about was going to happen overnight. Again, they had, be, um, they had been looking for any kind of hope for over 400 years, and now they see it. It's interesting, though. Um, our hope can sometimes be so petty as humans. Like, I'm serious. We can have such this petty hope. Um, I mean, it's like when you're at the Chinese buffet after church, and the General So's chicken is mostly empty, and whatever's left in there is soggy, right? Have you guys ever been there? It's like, you really, you really want that General So's chicken. And you get there, you get your sweet tea or your Mountain Dew or your water, and you go up just on fire for the Lord, right? You get there, and you look at the, you grab the scoop, and you're ready to grab the uh, General So's chicken. You're like, wait a second, that's soggy. That is you know what, I'm going to go sit back down. I'm going to give them a couple minutes. So literally, the only reason you went to the Chinese buffet is for General Tso's chicken and crab rangoon, right? Can I get a witness? That's the only reason you go. Sometimes everything else is a filler. Like, yes, they're, cinnamon, they're um, little like biscuits with sugar. Those are good, but that's nothing in comparison to the fried rice, with the General Tso's chicken and the crab rangoon. Nothing like it. So you're disappointed because you've been sitting there two minutes and nobody has brought out fresh General Tso's chicken yet. Like, petty, we're petty. My life is so horrible sitting here on my iPhone. You Android users can't be trusted. sitting here on my iPhone, enjoying everything, being petty about all the things that I'm disappointed about, right? But then as you're sitting there, you see a man of God walk out those two doors, right? The doors fly open, you see him with that metal tray. You're almost speaking in tongues, probably, right? You're so excited that he brings the tray over. You walk up there, and you realize... Um, you walk up to get your double, double scoop of General Tso's chicken, and guess what he did? He brought out orange chicken. Frustrated. We've all been there. You think he's bringing out that crispy General Tso's chicken, and it was orange chicken. Disappointed. Disappointed. Our, our disappointment can be so petty. These people weren't dealing with petty disappointments. General Tso's chicken. Crab Rangoon chicken lo mein, right? They weren't dealing with it. And no, this is not an advertisement for Golden Star. Our disappointments today sometimes can fall so short of what these people were dealing with. 400 years of slavery, of being beaten, abused, driven, and now they're hopeful. God has heard my cry. God has heard my cry. We have to learn from this story is no matter how gifted we may be as individuals, we never have the ability to know everything. No matter how gifted you are, no matter how um, many years experience you have, you never see the complete picture. But you know who does? God. God saw the complete picture. 
We have to be willing to accept that God is going to move in ways that are confusing to us. There's a lot of things we don't like. We have to accept it. It's time to grow in greater trust of God's sovereignty. It's better to not have all the answers and be in God's hand than to think you have all the answers and be outside of it. God, I don't have all the answers. I just want to be with you instead of thinking that I have all the answers and living outside of it. It's okay with God um, being able to do things you cannot do. They're in this situation now where they think that their deliverance is coming. But what ends up happening, we're going to find out here in a moment. God is calling you and God is calling me to begin to keep our heart during the seasons that do not go our way. Do you realize that seasons of life are not going to go the way that you dream them? The perceived guarantees and the perceived promises that you put on your own life don't come to fruition. And God's asking you to keep your heart. Will you still love me? Will you still worship me? Will you still be faithful even when it hurts? So for time's sake, I want to highlight some of the scripture or just some of the story in Exodus 5. We're not going to read the whole thing this week. So Moses and Aaron, they go to Pharaoh and they said, let my people go, right? Pharaoh questions who this God is. Who is this God that that sends you? You go tell this God, right? So Pharaoh said, um, Pharaoh then said to Moses and Aaron, why are you taking my people? Why are you taking my people away from their work? Get back to work. Pharaoh got mad, so he required the managers to stop giving the work, uh, workers helpful supplies. And he also required the same output. So we're going to take away some, some of the supplies you're using, but I need these people, God's people, to put out the same work. So we're going to take your Chevy away, and you still have to move these 10-ton blocks. Can Chevys even do that? I know Fords can't. I pick too many fights, don't I? Pharaoh makes work harder. Pharaoh's managers beat God's people because they were not meeting their quota, resulting in them being mad. Pharaoh didn't lessen any of the quota even after a discussion. When God's people, the Israelites, Israelites left the meeting with Pharaoh, they stumbled upon Moses and Aaron. Verse 21, they said this, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us uh, obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. They're mad. Moses, why would you do this? I thought you were for us. This was supposed to turn out a different way. And now everything that you're doing is actually working against us. We probably all had a friend or family member that we felt like was working against us, haven't we? Why have you done this to us, Moses? Quit. Stop. I want my life to be easy. So then in verse 22, 
Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and they have, and, um, and you have not rescued your people at all. I thought that when God called me to do something, that my life was going to get easier. I thought that when God called me to do something, the anointing oil would be from, from my head down my beard all the way over, all the way to the tips of my to toes. The authority on my life would be able to tell that mountain to move and it would move. Move mountain. Move mountain. God spoke to Moses and gave him a call. And it seems like the very thing that he was calling Moses to do is making it worse for his people. That's a challenging season because there's things that God calls you to that you don't see the immediate fruit in. And there might be seasons in your life that you never see any of the fruit. Are you willing to be the most influential person that never got the credit? behind the scenes all the time. Yes, yes, God, I'll do that. 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 So I want to talk about some other examples in the Bible. Think about Jeremiah, right? I want to read to you uh, out of Jeremiah 1, verse 4. This is what God's telling Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. See today, now verse 10. See today, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. God's telling Jeremiah, you're going to be a mouthpiece for me, right? What does he say in verse 10? I'm going to appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Now look, how many guys do not want that job? I'm going to give you the authority over nations. I'm going to give you authority to uproot, to uproot, to tear down, to build up. Which guy does not want that job? You have all the authority you ever need. Guys always want that in every situation. God's giving Jeremiah that um, the thing that we think we dream about. But what happens? God stirs up hope in Jeremiah. And Jeremiah probably assumed what that meant. God's people in Exodus 4 heard God was on the move, but they assumed what it was going to look like. You and I see God on the move, and we assume what it's going to look like. See, watch what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 20, uh, verses 7 and 8. It's interesting. God, you deceived me. Lord, I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. 
I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me, um, has brought me insult and reproach all day long. Jeremiah was mad. God, why would you do this? Kind of what I hear is, I thought that the thing that you were calling me to was going to give me greater authority and blessing. But everything that you called me to left me where? Destruction. Insult. Reproach. I was ridiculed. I was mocked. That doesn't sound fun, does it? God, you lied to me, he said. I'm doing what you asked, and the only thing that is happening to me is hurt. Has anyone ever felt that way? That you're just trying to be obedient to God, and every time you're obedient to God, things get harder? God, I'm trying. I'm trying. Mocked, beaten naked, thrown into a ditch, and he was often bloody. Who in here has been beaten, thrown into a ditch for the sake of Christ? Who in here has been bloodied for Christ? Now, I'm not saying you have to get bloody to be serving Christ. I'm not saying that at all. But you know what? I believe if you're a Christian, you've probably all been mocked in front of your face or on Facebook or um, behind your back. Did God lie to Jeremiah? Jeremiah kind of accused him of it, didn't he? But did God lie? No. Did God, God lie to Moses? No. Did God lie to you about your destiny and your calling? No. I believe, though, that we can so often become so narrow-minded that we assume what God meant when he spoke it. And then we take what he spoke over our lives and try to make it happen our own way. And far too often our own way becomes about us becoming financially stable, being set free, and living a safe, comfortable life. <clears throat> God, once I do this, then I'll have this. It doesn't happen that way. A couple weeks ago, <clears throat> I went to um, an event in Springfield called The Gathering Breakfast, and they had Tom Ryan speaking. And Tom Ryan talked about things that he was promised. He said, look, everything seemed to be going the way that I wanted to. In the 90s, I finally was in a financial position where my wife and I could have air conditioning within the house. He said, we had a Ford... Um, he basically went from a Ford Pinto to a Ford Explorer. He felt like life was just on the up. And he said, I'm telling you, I had the things that were promised to me. A house, a car, a job. He said, happy marriage, happy kids. I was promised to watch all my kids experience marriage and grandchildren but there was this day when his son was five years old. They just got done at wrestling practice, running around having a good day. He was a Division I wrestling coach 
um, in New York at the time. Running around one day um, after practice, he had to cancel a meeting at the um, school. So he called and he canceled this meeting. And while he's at home, they have dinner, they're laughing. And he said, I'm just sitting there like a dad, just laughing at my kids having fun after dinner, smiling, watching their faces just laugh with joy and having all this fun. And then he said, we're getting ready to clean up and now my wife joins in on the fun. So she joins in on the fun. And they're just running around the table and now they're playing hide and go seek. He said, "Um, my five-year-old, he was in the other room, so my wife decided that she was going to hide. So she hid. She hid behind a corner. And the five-year-old ran, and she grabbed him and picked him up by his legs and his back. And we all just laughed, and it was a big laugh, and everything was fine. She ran into the other room like, I can only imagine, right? And then out of nowhere, she said, Tom, our son quit breathing. So we tried CPR. They called 911 didn't know what was going on. They lived less than a mile away from the EMT um, hub. It took them 14 minutes to get there. He ran his son up the block because he heard um, sirens. Siren was going the other way, so then he ran back. His five-year-old son is not breathing, CPR, trying, 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 trying. He said, I was promised in my mind, to see this son have kids one day. I was promised to see this son get married one day. I had my promises. So they went to the hospital, and when they got to the hospital, he said, the surgeon came out, and he wouldn't look at me. And I knew my son did not make it. He said, I didn't know how to respond. I went home, and he said, when your kids kids are young, they wait for you at the door. He said, when they're old, when they see you pull up, they walk out the back door. So he said, I got home and my kids were at the door and they saw us pull in the driveway and they came and they saw me and um, ran out and they said, hey, where's my brother? Where's Bubby? He said, I didn't know what to say. So he said, I said, I don't know. He said, I knew everything about every wrestler in the nation, every college wrestler. I knew the GPA of my kids wrestling uh, on my team. I knew their uh, grandparents, their parents, the high school they went to, their coach's name. I knew every junior and senior that we were recruiting, everything about them. But I didn't know where my five-year-old was. So he went on this journey. I'm not going to, I mean, just to wrap it up, he went on this journey and he wrote on a board, evolution or Jesus, evolution or God. And he said it was harder for him through reading hundreds of books, it was harder for him to believe in evolution than it was for him to believe in God. And what he says is if, if it wasn't for that moment, if it wasn't for that moment, he wouldn't know where his family was going either. But it was that moment that challenged him. Through that disappointment, through that hurt, through that frustration, through that doubt, God used it to work together for his good. And God is using these disappointments and these frustrations to work together for our good. But he assumed that he had these promises, just as I said, we assume we're going to make it home today. I heard of a guy in Los Angeles who did a Christian radio show. He was talking about going home one day. And um, he was just on the radio, went home, and was in a car accident. 
Those things happen all the time. We don't know, and it hurts us. And what God challenges us to do is to keep our heart during those challenging times. Because Tom could have done one of two things. He could have ran away and he could have gave up on God. Or he could have said, God, you want to do something in this. You're going to do something in this. And he said, yes, there's a lot of why questions. But sometimes I have to move past the why and just say, God, I trust you. We have to sometimes move past the whys and disappointment. God, I trust you. Not everything that you do for Christ is going to meet your standards of happiness. Scripture explicitly says those willing to lose their life will find it. And those who want to keep it will lose it. You have to be willing to lose your life to find life in Christ. So what's losing life? Well, I'm going to lose my preference. I'm going to lose my assumptions. I'm going to lose the things that I demand that God does in my life if I'm going to do anything for him. So we talked about Jeremiah. It didn't turn out the way we thought, right? What about King David? First Chronicles 28, verses 2 and 3. Um, David wanted to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant, right? But God told him, no, because he was a man of war and he shed blood. Now, do you know who sent David to the Philistines? God. What happened when he was with the Philistines? War. What happened in that war? Blood was shed. A place that God called him disqualified him from something he wanted to do. Sometimes it doesn't turn out the way you expect it. And what, what we have to remember through this is sin still has consequences. This generation has to remember. Like, look, <laughs> God loves us. But sin still has consequences, period. And right now what's happening is this love, do whatever you want movement's taking place and we're actually training a generation that um, sin's kind of irrelevant. No, sin has consequences. And we're always going to preach that from this pulpit. Now Jesus forgives your sins, but sin has consequences. David is a man after God's own heart. And the places God called David to disqualified him to do something that he wanted. God has a different plan. God does things different. Just because you serve God, it doesn't mean it will turn out the way you want it to. In this world, what does scripture say? In this world, you will face trouble. But take heart. Why? Because God has overcome the world. As Christians, you will face trouble. Quit trying to work yourself out of it. Quit running from it when it happens. Expect it. Trouble's going to take place. The season that you're in right now, the challenging moment that you're facing right now, you should expect it. Now, just because you expect it doesn't take away the hurt of it. It still hurts. 
But all throughout scripture, you know what I see? Is God promises to be with people. In the Old Testament, he promises to be with Moses. In the New Testament, I believe it's Matthew 25. I believe it's Paul being beaten and flogged, right? What does God say? I will be with you. And I'll, uh, I'll be with you and I'll tell you what to say. What about the um, Great Commission? Go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And then what does Jesus say? Surely I will be with you. Christ is with us. Let's not, let's not say in a cliche way, like, yeah, God, all I want is you. And then when all we have is him, complain about it. Let's address the real peace of our heart. You want to know some of my prayers? God, I don't want you right now. I know that I need you, but my real heart doesn't want you. I can tell by my actions that my heart doesn't want you, and that's a scary place for me. I don't need to lie to God because he knows. Help me want you again. Help me need you again. I love when I get to conclusions of where my rebellion was and where my rebellion is. God would prefer us to be honest with him instead of continually deceiving ourselves. We have to read the Bible soberly. David couldn't step into his call. And even Joseph, we talked about him a couple weeks ago, very short. God revealed to him what his future was going to look like, but there was still a process to get there. Jesus couldn't just have a heart attack and die for our sin. There was a process for the atonement. There's a process for you and I. Do you trust God enough to be okay with that process? Do you believe in God's sovereignty enough to be okay with it? And think about Gideon. Oh, really, God? You gonna take more? This is enough. This is enough, God. Why are you gonna take more from me? This is enough. This is enough. You're gonna take more. Power comes from following Christ, not from doing what you think is appropriate. The fish and the loaves, right? All I have is a few, but I'll give it all to you. We have to read the Bible soberly. The people in Exodus are disappointed. God, you heard our cries and come to deliver us, but nothing got better. It only got harder. Let's close things out with a couple um, applications. So if you have your, uh, if you're note-taking today, um, write these down. God requires complete obedience, not partial. There's this situation where there's this person in my life who I've talked to five times my whole life. This person is 20 years older than me at least, probably closer to 30. This person could be my, could be my dad. 
Here, but no one could ever be my dad. God requires complete obedience, not partial. Complete. So I know that I need to reach out to this person because this person has cancer. Talk to this person five times and very like, hey, how are you? That's it. Partial obedience is me telling God, if I see this person, then I'll talk to him about you. That's partial obedience, right? If I see this person, I'll talk to him about you. Complete obedience is calling this person and setting up an appointment. No more waffling. No more waiting around. Make things happen. So, um, very awkwardly, I contacted this person the other day trying to get coffee with them. That's going to be a weird conversation. It's not like me talking to Mark Miller or, or Lyndon or Stu. Like, hey, brother, how are you with the Lord? I don't know where this person is with God. And I've never had a regular conversation with them to even have any kind of place to know. So, God requires complete obedience, not partial. Number two, disappointment will come and we're supposed to keep our heart. Keep your heart. Number three, don't be so quick to forget. In verse 22, um, then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done evil um, to these people? Why, why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to uh, these people. And you have not delivered them at all. Remember, God told Moses that, um, that once he went to Pharaoh, that Pharaoh wouldn't believe him. Moses for, seemed to forget about that, didn't he? He warned him. He said, hey, look, you're going to go to Pharaoh and he's not going to believe you. I'm going to harden his heart. He told Moses about the signs. He told Moses he would lead his people out. God's people were quick to forget about their worship unto him and his promise, promise of deliverance. They just had this experience of laying down and worshiping and falling and honoring and thanking. And now they're already in chapter five forgetting about that. Moses seemed seemed to forget about the signs and his encounter. Moses seemed to forget about the encounter that he had with the fiery bush. When we face storms, we have to follow God's lead, not forget about his promises. How many times in your life has God prevailed and you've already forgot about it? See, within our human nature, what we want is, well, God, you did that. I don't really care about it because I need you to do this now. We have to remember God's faithfulness. As I shared, I think it was last week or the week before, about emptying my wallet. God's going to show up. He did show up. So guess what? He's going to do it again. I remember, I remember God showing up. 
So because I remember him showing up, I know that he, he can do it again. Sometimes it might not happen in my time frame, but he can do it again. So don't be f- quick to forget about all the good things that God's done in your life. And if right now you don't, um, I found myself in a season where, um, and I had to quickly repent of it. I found myself in a season of life where God was allowing me to prophesy over people's lives with very like acuity. Like I saw this, like, for example, I saw this happen to you when you were this age and God wanted to bring healing and this is what ended up happening. And it was like anywhere that I went, that could happen with anyone and everyone. And I told Macy, I said, I can do it all the time. Not as like a trick, but it just happens all the time that, God, I want something new and fresh in my life. You know, people would come up to me as the uh, prophetic ATM. And I would not, I don't create the word, it has to come from God. So there are many times that I wouldn't have a word for people when they would do that anyways. But what I was, like, what I'm really sharing is it's like I started to take advantage and forget how awesome it is that God would use me in that moment to speak something that no one else knew. I forgot the pleasure that that was. So I had to repent of it. God, thank you for speaking to me. Thank you for trusting me. Thank you for allowing me to um, know insights um, into these people's lives so that we can see healing. You need to not forget and you need to be thankful of the things that God has done in your life. Amen? So, so I want to remind you of some of God's promises in your life so that you can remember who he is this week. You can remember in this challenging season that you guys may be facing who he is. Matthew eleven, twenty-eight and 29 Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You can find rest in Jesus. He's gentle, he's loving. Romans eight twenty-eight. he makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. He's making everything work together for your good today. You don't even need to understand it, but I promise you he is. Romans 8, 8, 37 through 39. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Neither height nor depth, depth, nor angel nor demon. Principalities, nothing. Nothing, nothing in heaven and hell can separate you from the love of Jesus. Remember that. Nothing can separate you. So when you get mad at the Chinese buffet today, you remember that God will forgive you and that nothing is going to separate you from his love. Proverbs 1, 33. But all who listen to me will, have, will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. But all who listen to me will have peace. You have an opportunity for peace. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he died on the cross and raised three days later from the dead, you will be saved. Promise. John 14, 27. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. 
And the peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give. So do not be troubled or afraid. Romans, oh uh, no, Ephesians 2, 3. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You're near to Christ. No matter how far you may feel, the blood of Jesus allowed you to be intimately with him. Last one. Many of you guys are familiar with the scripture. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired. And young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They, um, they will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. And not faint. Even youths will get tired. We, we all get tired, but God promises to give us strength. Amen? So, if you need... Um, if you need some help processing discouragement, disappointment, if you need help clinging to God's promises some more and trusting him, then what I want to ask is that you would stand up and we're going to pray. Don't be afraid, right? We'll pray. Amen. God, we thank you for those who are standing and are continually standing. God, help us trust you more in the process. Help us trust you more in disappointments. God, reveal to us our hearts. God, truth to the bones, let us see it. Help us trust you. God, may your blood pour over our lives today. May we just give you our full lives and saying we're gonna follow you step by step and even when it doesn't look right, we're following you. Even when it doesn't make sense, we're following you. Even when we're disappointed, we're gonna follow you. God, I pray that this church and this community would become yes men and women. That in spite of what it looks like, in spite of how it feels, in spite of the fruit of it, we say yes to you. In Jesus' name. God, I pray right now even, um, I just pray for people who are standing and people who are sitting just, just to sense your peace over their lives right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just minister to us today. I pray specifically for forgiveness. That, that people and places, uh, things that we need to forgive, situations, God, that your, your blood would um, lead us to that place of reconciliation and forgiveness. Help us not hold on to it. Set us free today. Break those chains. God, we just break off the chains of bitterness, frustration, lies. God, we even just break off um, the, the things that we've been mistreated in and we say, we won't own that anymore. We are your children. In Jesus' name, amen.